I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Welcome back. I am in Greystones, Ireland. I am here because many of you recommended that I come and spend time with the guests I'm introducing to you today. Around a month and a half ago, I said, you know, I'm in the UK, maybe give me some recommendations for guests that I can learn from, that can share wisdom with us here in Ireland. And you were so kind to send me quite a few recommendations. One of every three persons that sent me a recommendation, recommended that I meet with the happy pair. I did not know the happy pair. And so uh, I did a bit of research and we said, we will absolutely stalk those people. We absolutely need to talk to them. So I landed in Dublin, drove, didn't drive actually, got on a taxi for 50 minutes. And here I am with the kindest, kindest brothers took me to their store, to their restaurant, and then to the farm. And every one of you probably knows that it's one of my lifetime dreams to end up living on an organic farm. Dave and Steve Flynn, the happy pair, showed me generosity that I only know in the Middle East, to be honest. They shared everything. They were walking around, just picking chocolate and throwing it in my mouth, picking, you know, fresh rocket from the field and asking me to taste it. I must have eaten 14 tomatoes and things that I don't even remember. Raspberries, raspberries. Have you ever tasted fresh raspberries? They are all about that. Around 18 years ago in 2004, they started with an organic store, basically that became a venture that's from my conversations with them, they don't really consider a business as much as they consider a purpose, a reason to live and yeah, make money in the process. The Happy Pair also is a podcast that started in 2020, very, very popular around making the right choices for healthy and happy life. They are brothers, which I have to f- to say is unusual for business to succeed with so much happiness and purpose uh, when you're doing it with family. And they are truly and honestly what I believe we all try to to embody when we say that our work should be a little bit of our purpose or all of our purpose in life. All I can tell you is for those who recommended the happy pair, you were right. They are happy and they are wonderful. Uh, Steve and Dave, thank you so much for hosting me. This has already been one of my most enjoyable podcast experiences and we haven't even started to chat. <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely intro. That's a great intro. Really, It fun. is. It's really. true. I mean, it's, I remember someone saying that, um, you know, what a treat it would be to sit and see your own funeral. And I uh, felt to that, sit through oh, that intro. That felt like, oh, that felt like we got to sit here and just hear nice oh, things about you. It's like, 
Wow, isn't this a lovely little thing? Jeez, my ego's loving this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> great day. <laughs> I mean, I can I can definitely say that uh, if you want uh, at your funeral, but I think you guys with the, with your healthy choices will probably outlast me for a very long time. We're going to talk about that, but it's really it really is quite a treat. I mean, I feel so welcomed. I feel I received a video message from Steve first thing in the morning with a beautiful smile, saying, "Hey, we're looking forward to meet you today." Like, who does that? Who does that? That's so sweet, so kind, so generous. And uh, in an interesting way, I think it reflects a lot on truly what you guys are all about. Now, I, I always want to start with getting to know you. Now, normally I get to know two people, but you sitting in front of me, almost like mirror images of each other, uh, same shoes, same t-shirts, but different colors, same smile. Same shorts. Did you not notice that? I, I was, yeah. You know, when, they, when you came out of the car, I was like, okay, who's who? I, I just, there's absolutely no way I can tell. So, so let's start from this what is it like to grow up so close you're the first twins i've ever interviewed on slow-mo so yeah i guess we don't know any any different like because that's a way, good point like we we only know life as identical twins where there's always been two of you and you've always got attention you've always got are you yes we're twins yes you know <laughs> uh, there's two yes we're twins yeah you know like <laughs> and you kind of got used to like a question a main question was not necessarily uh it was which one of you like that it wasn't your name your name was which one of you which one of you <laughs> you over there you know flint twin you know so yeah. so i guess being a twin it, it has incredible benefits and then like everything in life it has a price to pay for the benefits too so so, so do, do you guys ever disagree of course yeah, absolutely yeah you of do of course oh absolutely I, yeah yeah of who's course. the boss then um it depends it depends on the day and even people will say things like i was chatting to the to the more social one the chatty one <laughs> but it depends on the day because some days like there's this almost natural symbiotic relationship and it's like a dance that some days Davey more chatty or more confident some days I'll be more that and some days one of us will like to be in the background it just kind of happens in its own organic beautiful way mm-hmm. and I think I, I, I think one of the real joy sorry to cut you off there Dave uh, this is Steve's voice here by the way uh, <laughs> speaking from Steve's body out of Steve's mouth um, but, <laughs> but I think one of the true one of the true joys of twins is that so many of us spend our life looking for that other half or that sense of someone to understand oh. us fully or someone to just unconditionally love you and I think being born a twin um just has always given us that. So it's given us oh, this wonderful man. acceptance, unconditional love, no matter what you do, how stupid your idea is, someone go, great idea, let's go do that. <laughs> you know that way? So, so in that regard, it's been the greatest. And, guess, maybe, and maybe in that regard, it's given us a great freedom in life because, you know, we've always had that security or that safety, or you, you talk about basic human needs, like we mm. had them ticked coming out of the womb. So like, it means you're, you know, maybe we, we've we always been a bit less fearful than our friends anyway, in, in terms of just going and yeah, having a laugh, said, not like, taking things too serious. Like we always said with the happy pair, sure, if it doesn't work, should we get in and sell orange juice outside the train shop and we'll have a great should time? find something else to do? You know, like it's, it's you know, yeah. it's, life is, you know, an adventure. It actually shows, I believe, now that you talk about it, I feel, so I feel that the most important thing for anyone to grow up being kind and loving and contented in life, if you if you ask me, is to have that unconditional love, is to have that someone that you can relate to or some people, not necessarily one, where you can feel confident that this person would be by your side. And, I, mm. and, and it's so interesting that you say that we've always had this. This probably makes a big difference growing through things. But have you, have you ever been 
different. I mean, there are slight differences when I deal with the two of you. There are very subtle, but when you pay attention, I believe if I hope when we spend more and more time together, they'll become clearer. Are you drastically different in anything? Um, He's better at maths than me. Oh, that's a big one. It's drastically different. I, I wouldn't think we're drastically different, but I'd say there is over time we've become more aware and more comfortable with the differences. Mm. I think when you're identical twins, you're always kind of you're blessed and cursed with that idea of joint identity. So mm. we've always been so proud and got so much joy and we felt so blessed being identical twins. So it compounds that kind of, well, we're identical, we're twins, we do everything together and we're the exact same. Mm. But I think as we've got older, we've become more comfortable that yes, we're identical twins, but there's absolutely differences. Mm. Like I do, I like to write and kind of reflect and write stuff. Steve isn't really a writer, but he's hyper creative. Like Steve can't stop still. Like he's just, he's just a creative machine and machine isn't the word at all because he's just got this perpetual need to create and uh and i kind of have it i can i can reflect and sit back a little more whereas he just has to be on it all the time so the way the way you started steve you were telling me you were not fitting within the typical way of life. I was telling you about my career uh, at, you know, being a corporate executive for so long. And you seem to have not liked that. Uh, or did you try it at all? No, like I, I remember, so I did a degree in business and did a master's in e-commerce. And I remember finishing the degree in business and back 20, whatever, few years ago, was very much sold the American dream, materialism, even capitalism, moneyism, like the nature yeah. of it. It's like moneyism, like let's worship money. And, <laughs> and you were kind of like fed this underlying narrative. And I remember going to the Milk Road or the Milk Round, it was called in college, where you go meet the kind of big accounting firms. And I remember I was thinking like, geez, maybe I'll go like, if I become an investment banker, I'll probably make a million before I'm 30 and then I can do what I'm into. Then I'll play for Manchester then, then United. I'll, or be a professional <laughs> tennis player. I'm, then yeah. I'll be happy. Yeah. And I remember like, weighing it up in my head but it was like no this just i'm lying to myself like i can't do that like i Mm. literally i cannot do that and i remember um afterwards sitting down one christmas with dave and um going and we were dreaming about setting up our own company because as dave said to you earlier we kind of got a fire we got fired or um made redundant out of many yeah. of our jobs. Made redundant is not true. We just we got, got fired, fired from loads of jobs because we were just, we weren't that we employable. We didn't care less. You yeah, know, we, we were, were, we were, it was just something to make money. Like it wasn't, we weren't looking for a career, you know, yeah. serving beer or making pizza or serving. Oh, so you got fired from those two? Like the, the, oh, we got the fired no, from every just job? Normal jobs. Yeah, well, yeah. just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> quite a few of them. Uh, and I guess we realized that we just didn't quite fit in the, fit in the employment kind of thing Mm. so we always kind of under and we kind of knew that two of us like we'd have a fun adventure starting a business and i guess dad always encouraged that he's an engineer and mom they always encouraging us lads like follow your own dream do your own thing like you know try not to work for the man if you can yeah so i think age 21 steve said to me he turned around one christmas we'd both finished college we're 21 and he says uh i'm going away traveling i'm not coming back till i'm happy and you're not coming with me he said you're not going with me yeah yeah and at this stage at this stage so we had studied business we bought a degree he had a master's in business as well we were playing semi-pro we were both playing semi-pro rugby so we got paid every time we won or when you'd score a try we were both like i was playing off scratch and golf 
Um, we were we played baseball for Ireland. Not that that was difficult. We were doing modeling. <laughs> we were doing modeling because it was a good way of meeting girls. So we were doing all the things the society said you should do to be overachievers in you know to be happy and live a fulfilled life. So we we're ticking them all, and people thought, ah, those Flynn lads, they're great. They're really going places. And so we had we had a lot of the things that society said you should have, and underneath it all, there still was that kind of like a slight. Um, a slight kind of hollowness or, or probably more of a niche for something more there's more th- th- to there's got to be more to this game and and you said you were going away traveling you weren't coming back to your happiness like right okay i don't know what life is like by myself that's truly a, a, a big thing that's an identity crisis it, it really, is because, because yeah. it's you know it, it was a big thing anyway and he, he went off to canada to go be a snowboard instructor he got a one-way ticket and said i'm not coming back i'm happy and I went off to South Africa to go be a golf pro and see what that was like. And I guess little did we know we left as these jocks or these real sports, you know, kind of meathead, all-American type jock characters. And then we ended up going on this two-year journey, which was very much, each of us separately, which was very much seeing what else life had on offer. And we both ended up giving up alcohol. We didn't mean to, it just happened. We ended up changing our are, diet. Are, are, are you allowed to say that in Ireland? Uh, well, it, it, it's, it's taken a long time to be confident, not be ashamed of saying it, because usually you just say, ah, oh, no, I don't feel like a drink now. But um, but I guess we ended up changing our diet to become, you know, we, we eat a vegan diet and have done for 20 years and just really connected with nature and farms. And we got into spirituality and meditation and all sorts of different things. And th- this is in 2003. Steve calls me up and he says, Dave, Dave, uh, like, I feel so good. I've changed so much. Like he says, um, do you want to like try and start? He, he said a health food revolution, which sounds like, <laughs> which sounds. He didn't say a small health uh, organic shop. No, no he no. said, do you want to no. start a health food revolution? <laughs> and I had been reading Che Guevara's book about, you know, the Cuban revolutionary about, you know, upholding the government and storming government buildings. And I was thinking, revolution, brilliant, Steve, I'm all in. And then he says, uh, do you want to start a veg shop? <laughs> yeah and it was like yeah of course of course it's, course a, start, it's a start it's a yeah, spark. whatever yeah great yeah, yeah. so we ended up coming back like we left as these two jocks and then we came back two years later as these two um kind of hippie characters that were you know we'd long hair and plaid pants and we were now we didn't you know eat animals and we didn't drink beer and we were starting a vegetable shop and people thought we were crazy you know they thought we'd really that's, lost but that's our way. so 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 interesting that you go two separate ways do two very different things go down two very different paths and end up in the exact same place mm. well we kind of knew we always would you know yeah. and i think it gave a great opportunity to experiment with social conditioning yeah you know an opportunity in an age when there was no social media so there was real anonymity so like are you that old yeah, we're 42. Okay, that's that's vegan for you guys. <laughs> Look at those, you know, honestly, I mean, I've, if you're not watching the video. Honestly, we're 41. We could get away with 41. No, they, they, they definitely look early 30s. So yeah, well done news. It, it, yeah. In good light. <laughs> from a distance. <laughs> yeah, well said. Uh, but, um, yeah, it gave us that opportunity. So there was no social media. So literally, I remember leaving um, Ireland as this jock and this kind of person that had doubts in the American dream and arrive and I went to Whistler to this ski resort um, it was a real party town and I remember it was like I'm not, I don't feel like going to all the parties that's what I'd normally do I, I'm gonna 
I'm really interested in vegetables. So I used to get into the library every day and read vegetarian cookbooks. And I remember I didn't have a huge amount of money. I'd hitchhike down to the to the Thames down below looking for weird ingredients. And I remember spending about four hours one day hitchhiking down from Whistler down to Vancouver. And I remember buying barley thinking, oh my God, this is going to be incredible. I cannot wait to try barley. This is going to change my life. Because I'd read about it and I was so into it. And I brought back barley and I cooked it. It was like, it just tastes like rice <laughs> like, it's just like and I guess I was at that stage where I was just I'd never tried a mango I remember 2021 20, in Whistler oh. trying a mango for the first time in a ski resort going I don't really get this this is a bit weird you know the way Harry was so. right. but it was just it was, I, I had no reference point I didn't know mm. and it was in Whistler so it probably wasn't ripe and I ch- chopped yeah. into this rubbery thing going this is a mango yeah, that's you know the way. mango but for it, sure. But, yeah. but it gave yeah. that opportunity to explore different things of life. And I remember hanging around with these kind of nerds, cooking vegetables. I remember a, a lady talking about yoga and meditation was like, I don't know what the hell that is, but I'm going to go do it. Mm. And I remember going doing that and thinking, this is interesting. Just anything weird or wonderful I wanted to play and experiment with and find out where, where I felt more myself. You know what? My favorite people actually are the ones that manage to find that space in life. I think this, this, the challenge with the way we live now in the modern world is that there is an overstimulation of everything. So so something has to be extremely loud, extremely sh- sweet, extremely, you know, full of flavor or whatever that is. We just overdo everything so that we can feel in our numb bodies, the bodies that are numb by the pace of the modern world. And I think the happiest people I know are the ones that can actually find, like little kids, you know, that can find interest in a butterfly or the taste of something new or observing a flower they have seen for the first time. And it seems that you went down that journey of, yeah, we have quite a lot going for us but we haven't experienced the real life, you know, being a golfer or being a rugby player or being a model, that's not really real life. And I think there has been a bit of that in your experience. Yeah, it kind of gave opportunity for like stillness. And like when I recount it back and I look back and I'll just give you the highlights, but the reality was like, there was loads of space. Like you're sitting on the side of the road hitchhiking for three hours, just on your own. And there was loads of nights when you're like literally sleeping on the side of the highway. And I remember get bitten by this big spider and I was on the side of the road and I was like, wow, this is crazy. And I remember getting in some cars wondering like, maybe this is, I think I could die in this car, but sure, let's see what happens. I remember, I remember hitchhiking, I was on the side of the highway and th- this kind of guy gets up and I didn't speak Spanish at the time. And I remember I was going, this, is a, this guy's a bit fucking crazy. He was driving really, really quick. I didn't speak Spanish. We didn't really chat. And I was thinking, this could be it. Yeah, this could be it. Uh, and he pulled into a pub and he bought me a pint and we had a pint. And then he brought me back to the highway. It was like, that was mental. But it was, there were so many occasions where it was just, it was weird. It was strange. It was visceral. You know, where it's like, this could be yes. it. Yeah. But you kind of, it, it kind of almost like restored your trust in life that it's like, let me offer this up and let's just see what happens and let's see where I'm taken. And it's almost like a rite of passage. I think in modern day society, we don't have these rite of passages to bring us from adolescence into kind of more maturity. And I think a trip like that, where you're forced to reflect, you're forced to question yourself, you're forced to sit with your own misery at times and sit through the, the, the challenges of life. And it's true this, I think that you can almost like chisel a more solid version of yourself and what you want to represent in this world. Amen. Oh, I mean, I this is too close to uh, to me now. I mean, I, I'm just out. I was just telling you, I'm out of my 42 uh, days of being alone in nature. And, you know, I write books and I have podcasts and I had so much success in my life. But that was the, my, my very first time away for 42 days. 
very first time. It's heaven, heaven, heaven. And I actually encourage everyone to do it at least once a year, at least for two weeks, completely alone. There are those moments first where you go like, you, you get those weird thoughts in your head that of things you've never thought about before. And it's, it's not that this is not an important topic, but it's just that you've never given it the time. And then somehow you sit with it and you have silence and you have space. And yeah, genius sets in. You see the world very, very differently. The decisions that come out of something like this shape lives like I think it's been the case for both of you. You, you say you found your spirituality in in this. Yeah, yeah. I think like we'd never really kind of contemplated spirituality because we were too busy doing <laughs> what society said we should do. Yeah. But also knowing underneath it that there was a curiosity underneath the layer, like not that anyone could see. And we went away and I think we had maybe the year before we ended up meeting someone on a train who was, I think we were, we were interrailing around Europe. I mean, this guy came into our carriage and he was very still. He had a real stillness and a beautiful mm. energy of him. And he had just come back from a 10-day silent meditation retreat. And uh, and this is in 2000, 2000, maybe. And so we were curious. The seed was planted of Vipassana, 10-day silent meditation. So I think when you were away, you bumped into someone and ended up... No, you, I was... I was. I had gone to Burning Man 20 years ago and I'd hitchhiked my way up there with nothing and someone looked after me. And then I was helping it afterwards clean up. And I was fed up one day and I just said, I'm just going, I don't care. I'm sticking my thumb out. I'm going wherever the hell I'm going. I don't give a damn. And I stuck my thumb out and some fellow took me to San Francisco. And I had a nice time and went into a hostel. And I remember sitting there, I remember reading in a Playboy magazine years ago, or maybe it was one of those, one of those magazines anyway, about this island called <laughs> Hedon, Hedonism. And I remember thinking, wow, loads of sex and loads of exploring like <laughs> the value of life through sheer pleasure and indulgence. I thought, okay, I'm going to try to either go there, find, like buy a bike, cycle down to Central America, find a boat and find my way there. That sounds like a dream. Or I'm going to apply to this meditation center. <laughs> and I was like, whichever one like comes through to me, I'm going to go with that. And I applied to the meditation center and I said, I'm going to give it three days. And if I don't hear back, I'm not going to go. So the meditation center came back and I hitchhiked my way to Texas from California and uh, went and did a 10 day meditation retreat. And I remember the first few days going in thinking, this is brainwashing. This is mad. Excuse me, cursing. <laughs> but then going through it and sitting through that stillness and almost practicing being in the present moment it seemed like the most after about day four day five was like this is honestly the most profound thing i've ever done and it's so simple accessible can, i was just going to say can you sit with yourself yeah and just enjoy the present and it was like practicing for 10 days and i remember it was like at the end of it you were talking and i remember feeling so drunk on the ability to speak with others it was no. just like you Oh, it was incredible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, yeah, you have a story about um, Anthony Robbins. Oh, geez. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, yeah. We ended up so the same kind of Steve, I think, had sat. You had sat. A, I'd sat a you had sat one. And uh, dad at the time, he was he had somehow been to an Anthony Robbins retreat. He's one of those. such a good man. Do you know him? No. He's such a good man. Is he? Wow. Oh, my God. He's such a good man. He's so driven by, I mean, forget the grandiose American events Character. that he holds and the way he encourages you and so on. And at heart, he's such a good man. 
Well, very interesting yeah really really nice mm-hmm. but um and dad had anyway been to one of his events and he said lads lads you'll really enjoy it he said i'll pay for the event if you can get your way to new york mm. so we ended up both of us hitched our way and we ended up making our way to new york and we did an anthony robbins retreat it was a three-day mm. kind of new york now retreat is not the word because it's ten thousand people in an arena yeah. or something yeah. so we did that and that was all about you can have it you can do it you can be it you can conquer this world yeah and, and it was so <laughs> much fun and it was brilliant and straight after that, literally, as soon as it finished, we went straight up to Massachusetts to do a 10-day silent Vipassana no retreat. Way. So we went from <laughs> <The contrast. laughs> one absolute extreme of externalities, pleasure, all this kind of like materialism. And then the other one was just, you can find can, yourself. Can you enjoy the present moment? And yeah. like one, with, like it was obviously challenging, the 10-day silent retreat, but we ended up staying in that place for I think six or eight weeks. We ended up just staying wow. there and serving and meditating and, and we had such a laugh there, but we, we it kind of, I guess it was, um, it was just a really nice time, I guess. Can, it, it was a great foundation mm. for, of what was important for us. So, so, so what, how do you define spirituality? How would I define it? Your relationship with yourself. You know, I would say your relationship with yourself and something greater than yourself. Because, well, ultimately, I would think that when you've got a relationship with yourself, it's naturally connected to the infinite or to the source or whatnot. So I think ultimately it comes down to your relationship with yourself because I think we are just, we are the leaves upon the tree of of spirit, really. Let me interrupt this podcast for a minute to tell you about my latest initiative, unstressable.com. Unstressable is a members community based on my book with my co-author Alice Law, which will come out in 2023. Members of Unstressable get a library of training materials, daily tools to manage their stress, a free monthly webinar where you can ask your questions, guest expert talks about relevant topics, and the best of all, a members community where you can talk to other like-minded people to learn tips and tricks about how to manage your stress better. Being one of my beloved listeners on Slow-Mo, the first 50 that will sign up for unstressable.com this week will get a two-month free membership. Use the code I need to slow down when you sign up to get your free gift. Remember, this gift is only for the first 50 who sign up. So do it fast. Go to unstressable.com, join our community and learn how to lead a stress-free life. I cannot wait to see you there because living stressed is not living. It's interesting that you say that because I look at it as the your relationship to the non-physical, if you want. And when you say to yourself, it almost sounded to me like the real you is non-physical, right? So, so your relationship to the infinite is really through your relationship to the real side of you, which is not really a body or a, you know, there is a body attached to it that navigates the physical world. It's such a beautiful definition. I hope you don't get shocked by this, but you seem to be a lot in flow at least in those stories that's quite feminine to just let life take you somewhere instead of just you know like the masculine be adamant about pushing life and you know clearing things from you yeah yeah do you both feel that this is part of you to let life take you somewhere 
Definitely. Well, I think. You wanna go? No, you go. You sure? Yeah, go. I love. This is my favorite interview. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) Well, I I don't know. Maybe like maybe it's when we'd left institutional education and you had that opportunity to allow life to unfold, to allow it just to blossom and to present itself. And I guess here we were, these two kind of young 20s kind of wanting to kind of understand the world. And it was like, who are we to force what we think the world is? Let's let life, almost like let life, what was I think, what was it? Pablo Neruda said, I want to do to you what spring does to the cherry blossom. And I think it's like that type of thing. It's to allow life to just to allow us to to take us where we want it. And if the moment is death, well, that's okay. That's what life wants. I trust it. You know the way. And, and I think wow. that's I think that's a huge part of it because I know a number of times when I was hitchhiking or I was kind of out on my own. I remember I was living in the south of France. I remember I bought a bike and I called it Roger. And me and Roger used to go, this is the bike, because <laughs> I was on my own and I took a sleeping bag and a sheet of plastic and that was it. And I was going cycling for a month on my own and I was going to sleep rough and I didn't really want to talk to anyone. I wanted it. This was my own little just trail through Provence. And I remember... Your little luxury traveling trip. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember it was May and I remember it was May, like this is Provence. So the weather was meant to be really good. I remember oh, out of those 30 days, it was a freak year. It rained like 28 out of 30 days. And here I was with my You're Irish. Plastic. Who cares? Exactly. It's like, I know this. But, but I remember going up to the top of like a, a, a big kind of hill at the back of Marseille. And I remember mm. up the top of it and I remember I'd kind of set up my little bunker for the night and like a thunderstorm started and it started like absolutely like the heaviest rain I'd experienced even in Ireland and I was here at my sleeping bag I had a little blanket and I had a sheet of plastic over me and the thunder and lightning came and I remember lying there going well if I get through this you're fucking hell that's insane you know those moments where it's just like and it happened many times those moments where it was like well I could die but that's all right you know the way and I think it's when I I think it's the ability to appreciate that death is is always there and it can happen at any moment, I think gives us such an appreciation to live. And you, I think- You know what they call this in spirituality? No. To die before you die. That's the ultimate goal of a spiritual person. Yeah. And I, to I, be okay with death while yeah, you're alive. To be fully alive, fully engaged, yes. fully exploring, fully interested, but okay with death. No problem at all. And I think that's so much of it. Like even we do like lots of talks and we'd often, you'll say, well, we're all going to die. And everyone laughs nervously. And it's like, they go, oh, what? That's awful. What do you mean? And you go, well, you know, you're going to die. Like, you know, (laughs) like I'm not joking. It's it's, it's just fact. (laughs) And I think there's a huge importance in that and kind of accepting our own um, mortality. Incredible. But it's also accepting the flow of life because a lot of people, even those who don't fear dying, they fear living a harsh life. You know, the idea of, yeah, this is gonna be tough and I'm going to, to have to suffer the rain or whatever that is. A lot of people will say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm better off with my own coffee machine and my own little oat milk and all of that. So, and I, again, I relate very, very deeply to what you're saying because this has been my year of pilgrimage. So I basically packed everything up six months ago and I have my little bag again. I've done that many times in my life, just going where life takes me. And interestingly, most people think that a pilgrimage would be to a specific place of spirituality. You go to Dharamsala if you're a, you know, a Tibetan Buddhist or to Mecca if you're a Muslim or whatever that is. But there's, you know, the Sufi um, tradition, which is very high on to die before you die, the concept, also have that concept of what they call wandering dervishes. 
Who oh, said, I love that. Is it the whirling dervish. So, so the, the the whirling ones are basically you're trying to get to a point where you sort of disconnect from the attachments to the physical and whirling is one of those ways where you basically are sort of, if you see how they whirl with one arm up, they're sort of reaching, ascending yeah. to the heavens. But the wandering ones, they also are a part of, of Buddhist tradition. They simply just leave with very, very, almost nothing with them. And they just move from place to place to place. And of course, that allows a lot of time in solitude, a lot of time alone, a lot of time reflecting. But knowing that if you keep going, life will get you to the point where you will see your insight, where you'll find your enlightenment. And it's such a beautiful way to explore life, to say, yeah, I'm not worried. I'm, I'm probably going to eat tomorrow. It's, you know, it's, if I'm in Marseille or in Provence, it's unlikely they'll let me die of hunger. So, you know, I'm going to find a way to continue to live. But but I, a lot of people have that fear of... Well, that, that, was, uh, that was when we were 21 or 22. So we could be very extreme. Whereas now, Roland, we're 42 and we've got families and, you know, there is responsibility. So it's finding that balance between living your life with that degree of, you know, being open to the flow of the universe, really, because it's the same flow that makes the trees blossom and makes the sun rise. And it's like a universal intelligence. And I think to be in flow with that versus your own egoic, like I need to be somewhere because this is the most important thing. But then when you're forcing your way that way, you probably miss a whole lot of doors, which totally. might've had sunshine and lollipops in them. And you totally. were, yeah. you were so hell bent on getting to the. Yeah. I, I, I found, I find the balance in my current life is in hopefully book, three books from now, I'm, I'm working on them at <laughs> the, the same three time. Three books from now, wow. Yeah, so Unstressable is out in March and then Finding Love end of the year. And then I'm working on something I call Half Monk. And that's exactly the point because when you grow older and you have responsibilities, I mean, I'm now separated from my wonderful wife. I'm single or actually a monk when you think about it. You're because, free. Yeah, but I have the responsibility for all my listeners and all of my followers and all of my readers and, and so on. So I have to show up in life and, and be a modern day warrior if you want. And I think half is an interesting balance for me to have half of your life in a reflective mode, the feminine, and half of your life in an active mode. Uh, the masculine, if you want. I think that would probably work. Let, let's get to, I, I haven't even started. I think even on that one, sorry, just even on that one in the masculine and the feminine one, because we grew up in a family of four boys, you know, a lot of rugby, a lot of male energy. So it was very masculine. So Whereas I think in and our latter school. years, all yeah. boys school, like very doggy dog, kind of like, you know, that was the kind of energy it really was. You didn't show weakness. You didn't show vulnerability. Whereas now the latter kind of 20 years, like we're 42, has been much more in the feminine. You know, when mm. you when you move into becoming vegan and giving up alcohol and getting into yoga and swimming in the sea and starting a vegetable shop and a health food movement, there ain't a lot of lads around. <laughs> it's 90% women. Yeah. And so we've been bathing in feminine energy, I'd say for 20 years, and it's been so healing and maybe it's been balancing the to the masculine. And yeah. I, I really see, I've got two daughters. I live in a house full of women and it's just, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I feel like I'm blossoming. What a beautiful statement. So, I was just going about to say, we haven't even started talking yet. So what's that vegan thing? Oh, vegan. <laughs> I think it's, it's a, a binary word, word. It's just a word. It's a word that evokes a response in a lot of people. People will have an opinion. They'll like it or they'll hate it. Mo most people will hate it, but certain people will be quite, you know, yeah, mission, purpose, focus, and <laughs> beliefs. So yeah. it's just a word. 
But really what this word represents, I think, is about trying to, each of us has a certain amount of agency within our life. We have a, a ton or, or of- the illusion of agency. The illusion of agency. And I would think our food choices is definitely a way that we can influence the planet. You know, we live in a planet where at the moment, nature ain't winning. Nature's losing. Nature's losing at the expense of capitalism, at the expense of money. And you, you, our agency, I think, as individuals, our food choice is one of the greatest agencies we have because food politics starts in your plate. You know, every time you go to eat, you've got a choice of choosing a food that either is pro-nature or against nature. And unfortunately, you know, we have the illusion that, you know, if you're eating meat, you know, chicken, fish, dairy, you might kind of go, oh, it's just, you know, it's organic meat. It's coming from healthy cows that are just down over that field and they're living beautiful, happy lives. And like, that's the illusion that, you know, it's the kind of bias which most of us have. And I won't get into the weeds of it, but I think, you know, certainly we realized that for ourselves, it gave us a sense of autonomy, a sense of agency and a sense of, you know, purpose around food, food being a great catalyst or a great means of, uh, of, of having connection. purpose. I think nowadays, many of us can feel disconnected from life. We can feel disenfranchised, disillusioned. I'm just a grain on the beach, just being taken wherever I am. But as Dave said, politics starts in your plate. And in 2018, the University of Oxford did a piece of research trying to find what's the single biggest thing you can do as an individual to address climate crisis. Uh, and many people think it's, you know, I'll get an electric car. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Then I'm sorted, of course. Or maybe Massive I'll stop lie. flying. Yeah. Tesla. They, te te I'm going to get a Tesla. Of course. Then yeah. I'll be sorted. Yeah. But they found that the single biggest thing you could do was to eat a more plant-based diet or a vegan diet. So it's, uh, and it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. You know, in essence, it's peasant food. Because you could eat a vegan diet and eat vegan chocolate bars, which we're eating chocolate here now. You could eat vegan ice cream, vegan donuts. It's not the healthiest thing. Yes, it is vegan and it's more beneficial to the environment. But in ideal, in terms of ultimate sustainability for you and for the environment, it's to focus on whole plant foods. And it's not an all or nothing thing. We're not saying, thou must be a vegan and come join our religion. It's just to try to do more of it rather than less of it. And it's, and and it's baby even, 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 I'm sure you heard of the Blue Zones Mm -hmm. The blue zones. Okay, I'm, I'm sure some people are listening. Have they're the five areas in the planet where there's the longest living people. Mm. So it's a piece oh, of yes. research done by uh, National Geographic and Dan Butner, and you know these are people living at the most amount of people. It's the 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 kind of hot spots where there's the most amount of centenarians living. And and researchers went in and said, "Geez, well, what are they eating? Like, how are these people living? Like, we want to live happy, healthy lives. What are they doing?" And they found if they weren't necessarily vegan, but ninety five percent plus of what they were eating was whole plant foods. So it was your, you know, fifty percent of the diet was beans and lentils. There was a lot of whole grains, a lot of fruit and veg from their garden. It was unprocessed, real foods, and maybe there was five percent or less was animal based foods, but like the, the, our message is really it's less about vegan and less about vegetarian and less about binary. It's about we all want to be happy, healthy humans. We all want to feel good. We all want to, you know, have energy and have our bodies age well as we age. And what you eat has a massive impact on your own personal health, on the planet's health and on, you know, I guess everyone else's as well. So I think, yeah, our message is to eat more whole foods. I mean, you bring up a very interesting point. So, so there is the ideology side of this, right? Which I have to say, it's a bit extreme to say I'm going to be 100% vegan, but, but it's a pendulum swing, if you want, in comparison to the others that are eating burger for breakfast and then steak for lunch and a whole turkey for dinner. And, and sadly, 
I think we've created a lifestyle which is very unlike human diet. I mean, when you really think about the original time when when we were hunting for what we eat, not just walking to the supermarket aisles, it wasn't that available to eat animal protein all the time. But I was going to say, but it's also not 100% natural to just be vegan, or, or is it? I mean, I don't, I, I don't have a an ideological view of it. I rarely ever eat animal protein just because I don't like animals to be hurt. But I think humans are made differently. They should probably eat some animal protein. I think humans can exist on a lot of different diets. You know, they yeah. can, they, we can exist on a lot of different things. And it depends on which camp you're reading. A bit like you'd know on Google, whatever you like, it's going to give you more of. And we're all living in our own <laughs> yes. echo chambers. So I couldn't say there's one clear answer on this because everyone will have a different opinion on it depending on their point of view because we all live in our own little biases. So I think it's to less get lost in the weeds of it, of going what's right and wrong and really stick on the overarching theme of that. Statistically, most people listening here, you know, in the first world or developed nations, 55% of the calories you eat are ultra processed. They're not just processed, they're ultra processed. About 35 to 40% are animal-based foods and less than 10% are whole plant foods. And that's statistics. So, whereas if you look at the longest living people on the planet, 95% plus are whole plant foods. So it's definitely not about vegan or vegetarian. It's about, <clears throat> there's a spectrum of choices out there and it's about doing your best and moving the dial as much as you can. And certainly we found in terms of ourselves, our own relationship with ourselves, my own sense of compassion, my own sense of awareness, my own sense of spirituality. I think food definitely is a part to play with it. Totally. And choosing, making food choices that are more compassionate and more in line with nature, more pro-nature, I think is probably only going to enhance your own, your own sense of spirit and your own sense of who you are. So I think food choices is an important thing to, to be reflective on and to give awareness. I find it quite, if you don't mind me sharing, I mean, I found it quite inspiring actually as I met you because I walk in here and they've literally sort of, first they both hug me, wonderful people. And then they take me by the hand and just literally take me across the store. And Dave is like picking up a fig and saying, try this. And then picking up a small plate to put a couple of potatoes in it and say, try that. Obviously not calorie counting, right? You're just simply saying, if it's whole plant, I can eat it. I can enjoy it. I can enjoy as much of it as I can. And the fresher it is, the better it is, which I think is a very it sounds to me like the gatherer part of humans, which seems to have been, if you really do the statistics, the 95% of human uh, food, you know? Yeah, every now and then you manage to, to, you know, the tribe managed to catch something and that would have been on the Thursday evening and that's the party. And because we didn't have processing plants and we didn't have fridges and so on, the whole tribe had to eat it that weekend. And that was it. Done. Then it's back to grill. Yeah, it's back, back to yeah. porridge and cabbage. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Absolutely. we got a carrot. <laughs> <laughs> we have a carrot. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and, and it's interesting, sorry to cut you off there. Like we've, uh, we, we, we have two farms. One of them is a, is a microgreens farm. So it's grown on the sprouts and wheatgrass and broccoli sprouts and all this. Do you but mean the, Brussels sprouts? No, like alfalfa or broccoli or wheatgrass or pea or those type of ones. And only that the farm that we took you to earlier, the four acre regenerative organic farm, we've only started that maybe eight months now. So that, that's been an eight month project. And we've become so aware that when you're growing your own food, you do not want to waste it because you realize 
the amount of wheelbarrows, <laughs> the amount of labor that has gone into giving me those 10 tomatoes, I am going to savor them. Every one of them. And yeah. it, it ain't just a piece of rocket. That's like, that's been, Raj was up there helping. Lizzie was up there with helping. Shawnee was helping. That's been so many weekends of labor of all of us together building these vegetable beds and planting these seeds. And it's, it's just a different approach to food when you're involved in the growth of it, in the growing of it, than simply going to the supermarket and buying it. Again, it's down to connection. You know, I remember it was in food and the closer we can be to their source of food, the more it can give us meaning and connection. And I think the more we have that, it's easier. It's harder to feel lost and alone and disconnected from life. So what, what would you tell our listeners who don't have that? I mean, this is... In a way, it's a burden because you have to work really hard to create a farm of that nature, but it's also a joy, right? What would someone listening to us who has to wake up tomorrow and go to work, I mean, how can they be become a bit healthier? Yeah, I think there's various different extremes. And I think for someone listening and going, now oh, that's very easy for you lads, you lads, you know, you have it lucky or whatever. I think at the center of every economy, and even if I was to ask anyone listening there to close, close your eyes close your eyes now and just have a think like what's at the center of every economy and most people think it's tech or it's it's pharmaceutical or it's finance but at the center of every human-based economy is food because without food we die so it's like food is everywhere around us but we're just so disconnected that we don't even see it so like if you're someone that does want to be closer to farm ask and you volunteer Ask and you help. Can I go up and help? And when you do go up and help, you'll make friends with them. You'll actually see the or, season. Or even just start with becoming aware. Like, you know, maybe a seed has been planted in someone listening today and they go, oh, I never thought about my food choices, that that can be an act of revolution. You know, maybe a seed's been planted here and maybe someone might talk, you, know, you might read a book on it. You might read an article on it. You might watch a documentary on Netflix. There is lots of really good ones there. So it's it's not necessarily about, like it's, Certainly in our lives, a seed might get planted by someone else. And it just, you know, like, like that Vipassana thing, I was talking about that. A seed got planted, we met someone, and then it wasn't until two years later we ended up sitting a course. So, it, it, you know, it, life, maybe we plant a seed in someone and, and they go on a journey of, they don't, like, you never know where life's going to take you. And but, but to anyone listening, I'd say baby steps. Baby, baby steps. steps. We're all the product of our environment. I think nowadays in modern society, we, modern society, we celebrate the individual. There's Messi. He's the best footballer in the world or whoever it is, insert person of choice. But the reality is the reason why they became the best footballer, one of the best footballers in the world, they had a support team around them that created the environment for them to blossom. And I think we're all part of this environment and we're all a product of our environment. And the more we can exist in an environment that supports us to make these healthier choices, and, the easier and, it is. And I'm peppering to say something the other twin is that uh, and I think the current food culture doesn't necessarily create an awareness or connection about our food so like it, it, it you know as I said we eat a lot of processed foods it's about capitalism and about creating cheaper and faster and more processed and whatnot so I, I think it's an act of revolution to kind it of really is to actually consciously become aware of your food choices and look for local food and try to even become aware of in your supermarket do they stop organic stuff do they stock local stuff is there anyone in your neighborhood growing something that you can go ask them? Can you start growing a tomato plant on your windowsill? Can you even sprout some lentils or mung beans on your kitchen, you know, draining board? There's so many different ways you can empower yourself. But I guess if you're curious, life will unfold and give you opportunities to continue along this journey. You don't even need to proactively do it. Just 
stay curious and the wonderful universe will provide opportunities for you. That, that would sounds be. very ephemeral, Dave. It does, doesn't do it? Well, as I said, do you need crystal balls or incense to do that, Dave? <laughs> no, just a few magic rocks. <laughs> E.g. that one. Oh, rocks. What's that? Uh, me and my daughters, we like magic. Uh, I'm not even going to go on that one anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to shut up. Too, too late for now. <laughs> it's going to take too, too, away Too, too late sense. for that now. What's that? Oh, it's just... Uh, Oh, jeez, I should have kept it in my pocket. Um, I have two daughters and they're wonderful and I love them to bits. And they, they're kind of like magpies. They like shiny things and crystals and things. So recently, the last kind of few months, we've been going to crystal shops and buying magic rocks. And I tend to pick a magic rock every day and I put it in my pocket. And I, I kind of like rubbing it. It's kind of fun, you know. So I don't know what this one is. It's a Does pretty, it work? It doesn't, like, I believe it works. So that's the most important thing. Does science believe, validate it? I have no idea. I have fun with it and it brings joy to me to have these magic rocks in my pocket. And, and, like and it's it a, also gives you a little excuse. Do you want to rub my rock? A little excuse. Like, an excuse. Like a little excuse. Like I'll often put it in someone's hand and I'll go, now this is a magic rock. It's got serious powers. Close your eyes. Okay. And I'll, and I'll put my hand over them and I'll go, now make a wish. And they'll close their eyes and they make a wish and I'll go, now give me back the rock. Get very excited. It's going to happen. And wow. it just creates a funny bit of stupid Give random play. Make a wish. I wish. You can't tell it. You can't tell it. I'm I'm wishing in my heart now. Okay. Okay. Now Done. Get super excited. Because it's coming to you. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think like religion, that provides, I, I shouldn't undermine religion, but like some forms of religion, it provides, it provides a, a mechanism which you can come together to, to maybe share a present moment together that might bring joy and might bring a little bit more, you know, presence. I, I don't know about the correlation between magic stones and religion, but I like where you're going. <laughs> I like where you're going. It's all based, my personal belief, I was talking to Alice, my co-author on the next book, and she has been insisting, and I probably will do it, she's been insisting that I should have, that I should create a podcast episode about the myth of spirituality when they talk about quantum physics and physics and science and so on. You know, when we say, ah, oh, we're all made of energy. Oh, you know, the, someone has a higher vibration than another and quantum physics says this and so yeah, there is a lot of crap in that. There are also a lot of truth in it, but there is a lot of crap in it. And, you know, I probably, my intention actually for you listening, if you if you think I should create an episode about that, I would probably do it, but just text me and tell me on Instagram or something. The thing is that there is at the center of any wish ever happening, a belief that it will. In a very interesting way, if you observe that it will happen, because we don't observe with our eyes, we don't observe with our physical senses, we observe with our consciousness. And if you can observe that something will happen with your consciousness, it does happen. And, and so there is, whether you believe in a magic rock or you believe in a, in a religious faith or a God or whatever, the universe, the mechanics of the universe, if you believe that it will happen, it will happen. Yeah, I totally agree. Even if you look at like some of the great spiritual I want, and leaders of our time, even you look at Eckhart Tolle, who's yeah. you know very incredible writing and consistently the same message. You know, you go to see him speak, and it's it ain't a rock show. Like it's the exact same message you read in your book about be here now. But even there's little sections which he talks about in terms of you know manifesting, and he he wouldn't probably call it in the traditional modern day view of it, but that if you believe in something, 
that we are connected to as we as you said you asked me my uh, belief in spirituality and I really do think we are a leaf within the tree and, totally 100%. and we are connected and to the source if yeah. we believe with all our being in something is going to happen it's possibly you know there's a there's a, a good possibility that it may come to fruition yeah i believe that if i'm not you, promising you no, know. But, <laughs> no no you should actually so I, I i i you know i do a lot of work on you know explaining this but if you if you drop your magic rock gravity will pull it down to the floor that's a law of physics i think there are laws of reality that are not just governing the physical part of the universe. And part of it is really that if you truly and honestly observe an event as if it's a future memory, that you already see that event in your heart as if it already happened. Yeah, mm. it exists. The wave function collapses and it exists. It's quite and interesting. I, and I think even back to the topic of happiness and kind of well-being, I think we are all independent radio towers that are sending out signals and totally. frequencies. Some can be signals of victim or pain or misery or doom and gloom. And, and life bring, gives more of that. Absolutely. And if we're sending all, yeah. out signals of, oh my God, I am so lucky. I'm sitting in this chair. Jesus, chocolate in front of me. Oh, what a, <laughs> we just made a beautiful new friend. How lucky are we? Yeah. We're, any, we're more likely you're, to you're, get you're more of that You're going to get stuff. more of that. Absolutely. So I think it's kind of like, I think modern society gives us one type of paradigm and we've got to be conscious and use our own autonomy to kind of go, okay, well, how do I just be really grateful for what I have right now and really kind of focus my intention in that and that'll probably compound. Yeah. Well, I was going to talk to you about business. The enti my entire intention of this podcast was going to talk to, to you, was going to be to talk to you about how you built your business and what you plan to do with it. But you know what? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I think it's more fun hanging out in spirituality or philosophy or meaning or purpose. Purpose is the thing that makes you tick, isn't it? For me? Yeah. I one of the things. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. There is no purpose. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> look at your, the look of your, on your face is like, what is he talking about? I actually, I actually have a very strong opinion on purpose, which is, yeah, of course you have to have purpose, but your purpose is right here, right now. My purpose is for me to have the deepest connection to the two of you that I can ever have you know, have the best conversation we can ever share with others to be inspired. And that's my lifetime purpose for this minute. Okay. My purpose in the next hour, when we start recording on uh, your podcast, you guys should absolutely go and, and listen to that. The happy pair is going to be to give you all of me, everything that I can offer. And that's purpose. That purpose ends there. I think the way we have westernized purpose is we've basically said purpose has to now be a point in the future that we strive for for 16 years and it's a masculine. target. Very masculine, right? And you measure your progress in that direction and you try to get there. And if you're not there yet, then you should be disappointed. And then when you get there, what happens? Poof, two hours of joy and then you set the next target. And so that, that, way, that way for me is... I don't think that's the purpose of life. I think that I think life wants to be lived and the purpose of life is to be right here, right now. Yeah, then your correlation is really about presence and about Absolutely. Being, it's ultimately going, well, this is this is the show. This is it this right is here, right it. now. This is it. I mean, honestly, Steve, when you were telling the story about hitchhiking and, you know, possibly being the last minute of your life or last day of your life, it's 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 as likely when we were walking in the farm for it to be the last minute of our life. You never really know. And it's just this minute. It really is. The entire purpose of life is just this minute. And, you know, how can you have a minute in the future be your purpose when the future doesn't really exist? It, when it exists, it will be just this minute. 
yeah, it's a very uh, big difference, I think, between Eastern and Western view of uh, and I think, purpose. I think the more present we are in life, the less time becomes linear and the more time becomes deep. Absolutely. Have you experienced oh, that? It's so Many true. times. Yeah. And, and when it, you're really, really present, time can time just... Time down. Like minutes feel like hours. Absolutely. And, and you hit just different levels of, I don't know, yeah. And then also I think we're at, um, it's at a complete, contrast and juxtaposition to modern culture yeah sadly. you know to be present like because we live in an age of like comparison being the thief of all joy and then social media is like comparison on steroids and this is the food that <laughs> yeah. a lot of people are being fed on a daily basis spending three hours four hours in social media and it's like that's like it, i just think it's it's the opposite of being here now and being happy Absolutely. with what you got so i think it's you once again a bit like your food choices i think if you can try to cultivate a relationship with the present moment, you are a revolutionary. You are counter culture because culture at the moment is making you to go quicker, faster. More, now, more, 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 more. Come on, you're sitting still. You should be busy, buddy. You should be busy. It's really strange. Busy is, an, is a modern day uh, invention, honestly. Again, think about farming. Huh? Yes, you're very busy at certain seasons, but you're not always that busy. You know. Think about hunting even. You're very busy hunting, but... Not all the time. Nobody goes out after they've caught the first prey and, and, and goes hunt, hunting again. It's, uh, we've messed up quite well, a lot. Also, you're working at the rhythm of nature. Like I know yeah. myself when I say I leave here and I'm caught up in doing and I go up to the farm and I'm like, I got 10 minutes here just on my way home. I'm just going to stop. And as soon as I get out of the car, it's like... It slows down. Time stops. And suddenly yeah. I'm like, F 10 minutes. I'm just being here now. You know the yeah, way there's yeah. just, there's a different rhythm that just yeah. slows you down. And yeah. I think that's our natural rhythm. I don't want a, a twin response. I want a single response from each of you. So I normally close with your secret, top secret to happiness. We've spoken about presence. So you need to give me a new one, each of you. Top secret to I happiness. I think the ability that, although age seems chronological, I think when inside everyone listening here today, is a little inner child. And I think oh. the more we can look at life through childlike wonder, the more we can just find joy in the most mundane, dull struggle. And I think if we can find beauty and magic in that, I think life just becomes this absolute rainbow of delight that we're sledding down, singing at the you top of our voice. can't lose. I'd even, riff, I'd even riff off that and I'd kind of go that I think the people who I've met in my life were the most free are typically the most childlike because if True. you look at a child, a child like I look at my kids and certainly when they were younger, they'd get 20 euro and they wouldn't care less. They'd be leaving money. It doesn't matter. Let's go buy sweets. Need sweets now. <laughs> and everything was about now. And when yes. you'd say, uh, you, like I remember, oh, can I tell a story on that? Mean, no, no, I, 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 I want to say, I want to say one thing. Oh my God, God. they're so kiddish, the two of those. <laughs> I remember. Wait, speak one at a time. <laughs> I remember oh, yeah, kind I of, looking at a piece of chocolate. I remember, <laughs> I remember kind of saying uh, to one of the kids, you know, um, like Elsie or Izzy, or it might have been Ned or Theo, kind of asking for something, you know, oh, can we go do this? And you kind of go, oh, maybe later. And they go, I hate maybe later. I hate <laughs> oh, maybe so later. True. And I think it's like, that's like, I just, I think within each of us is a child that believes in the good in life. It believes in wholeheartedly in the wonder and the magic of everyday life. And I think adults, a lot of us are burdened down with, with responsibility and duty. And we have all these ideas that to be an adult, you have to be boring and you've got to be serious. And I think 
when I've seen people who've nearly died of different, different things, they kind of, there's almost like a child life wonder emerges from them. And I hope I never become a grown up. I hope my body gets older, but I still have a childlike wonder. And I think that's what I would wish for anyone listening. And that was an individual answer. Sorry. I riffed off his, it was a great start. <laughs> <laughs> that was a brilliant answer. Steve, you wanted to interrupt? interrupt oh, I was going to interrupt and tell a story. I don't like, Tell it was more, story. my son Ned turned six uh, last Saturday and he was so excited. And as he was going to bed, there were two things that he said. He said, uh, I said, oh, how was your race? It was great day. I also feel a little sad. And why do you feel sad? And he was kind of saying, well, it was like, because I got to wait so long for my birthday. And then we had a discussion <laughs> about like the importance of waiting. Your life can't be a birthday every day. The importance of waiting and then it's special. But earlier that day, he got like, I think he got 95 euro. And he was like, I got so much money. And he was going around, which hand, pick a hand, pick a hand. And I'd pick this hand. He'd go, there's a tenner for you. And pick this hand. Oh, there's a five <laughs> oh, for so you. Sweet. And he was giving it away. And his best friend is Shiv. Shiv's 65. And he said, Shiv, can I take you out to dinner? And he took Shiv out to dinner as a six-year-old, brought her down. They went down to the Royal Park uh, Chinese restaurant in Greystones. They sat and had dinner together. Ned went up to the waitress, got the bill, paid the bill, left the tip. Or Shiv, Shiv left the tip, the four quid tip. As soon as they got home, Ned gave her a fiver and said, that's for the four pounds. I was taking you to dinner. Oh, wow. And then, then he was telling me like last night, it was like, yeah, I want to take to Shiv to dinner this week too. Yeah, yeah. I want to spend all my money. <laughs> <laughs> Man, <laughs> you've raised him well. That's well, another, he's just raised. I'm helping. You know, the way that, that's, that's another very, very important secret to happiness, honestly, to make others happy. I think it makes a massive, massive difference. And to like money, just, it's just, it's a tool to, for pleasure now. Yeah. All right. I don't know what to say. I could, I could keep going for hours, but uh, I think I'm going to invite them again. Seriously, you know, I think I'm going to come back, uh, go to the farm again, and then uh, have another. I have a spare room. You're more than welcome to stay anytime. <laughs> I hear the. Oh, man. we do. We have loads of people visit. You know, <laughs> genuinely. In the in the farm. Uh, no, and uh, I, don't, I don't. We don't live on the farm. We. Li I want to live on the farm. Yeah. But you live in Greystones. We, we I want to live on the farm. We swim in the sea every day at sunrise. <laughs> we swim in the sea every day at sunrise, and it's cold. But I think, and when you're talking about child life wonder, it's full of these crazy Absolutely. people that there's this childlike wonder in, and it's from people the age of 75 down to 25, you know? Yeah. I will just say, thank you. This was, this truly has been a joy in every single minute I've spent with you so far. It's been a joy. You're wonderful, both of you. Uh, and I'm really grateful for your invitation. I'm really grateful that you gave me the time. Thank you. Likewise. Pleasure, man. Likewise. You're, you're looking in the mirror. You're looking in the mirror. Oh, thank you. And, and for all of you listening, I know how much you enjoyed this. This was truly, truly wonderful. If you sit in front of those two brothers, there is joy that really affects you. It's contagious. I think it's amazing. It's all about being here, being now, letting life flow. Letting life flow. What a lesson being childlike, expecting the, the best with optimism. And yeah, maybe be a little bit responsible. Think about your choices because I, though not 100% vegan, will absolutely tell you we need to start doing something. I think our world is going to struggle more and more if we don't. 
Having said that, if you're ever in Ireland, do not miss the Happy Farm. They're not sponsoring me, trust me, but I love them. They're wonderful. They really are. And I think when you do something from your heart, it really shows. Everyone that I met was happy. Everyone that I met was kind and generous. Uh, the food was amazing. The whole thing was such an experience. And if you're not in Ireland, you might as well just slow down and find a few of those moments that start with you saying, I'm going to spend 10 minutes, like Steve was saying, about the farm and then hopefully end up spending a few hours. Because, yeah, when you are present, uh, life itself slows down. I love you all for listening. Thank you so much for giving me the privilege, the reason to go around the world and meet amazing, amazing people with so much wisdom. And I will see you next time. <laughs>